welcome to State of Mind, my podcast. I'm so excited to share this first proper, in inverted commas, episode with you of season two. The first episode was a little soundbite. If you missed that, it was six minutes long. A chat about the way this series is going to work and about me and my ethos as the person behind the microphone. So in today's episode, I'm talking to Flora Beverly, aka Food Fitness Flora. Flora is an inspiration and she tells us in this episode how she started sharing initially her food journey online in order to help her recover from an eating disorder. Fast forward a few years and she's just completed a marathon. She's very passionate about the environment, she's a plant-based eater and she also helps run a brand called Frida which is a sustainably focused period subscription service that gives back to charities supporting women in period poverty. She's an all-round positive person and my goodness does she have one hell of an intelligent head screwed onto her shoulders. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's very insightful and thought-provoking, and we talk all things mental health, exercise, food, and everything in between. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So good to have you here. As I told you in advance, I'm doing this series on sustainability, but not from a kind of let's all carry keep cups and drink from aluminium water bottles way, although that's, of course, very valuable. But it's more to like look at the concept of sustainability in different areas of our lives, because I think right now we all all forget that sustainability is just a word and actually just means like to sustain something rather than it being specific to environmentalism and all that stuff so you're really good at fitness things (laughs) not something I know that much about well I used to dabble but not so much anymore um so I thought it could be really cool to talk about sustainability within a fitness regime and what that means um but the way I'm going to start this series of the podcast is with uh, the same question for everyone. I didn't tell you this one in advance, so okay. you're going to have to think on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last thing that you did that positively impacted your health? So that could be like, I had a really nutritious meal, or I did a 5k run, or I did some meditation, or I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, I do stuff every day that, like, I try to live a life that positively impacts my health. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the last thing that I did was eat breakfast. And it was a great breakfast as well. It was birch muesli. Um, and honestly, I think it might have been the most tasty thing. How, did you make it yourself? Time. No. <laughs> Usually I do. <laughs> my sister gave it to me and I never tried this one before. It's like, a, I can't remember what it's called. It's got the word aubergine in it. It doesn't have any aubergine in it, just in the brand name. Um, Yum. And it was really, really good. So... Um, do you buy it fresh or is it like something that I think you add it, milk to no it's like a fresh one that gets like delivered to your door it's like think. grated apple in yeah stuff. exactly oh, and and lots of cinnamon and it was so sweet but I looked on the ingredients it doesn't have any added sugar so um breakfast is my favorite meal of the day and yeah. I often have it for dinner as well so yeah <laughs> what's your go-to breakfast I don't really have one. It varies every day, which is probably why I love it so much because you can basically have anything for breakfast. You mm. just like make a meal in the morning and it's breakfast. Are you a sweet or a savoury kind Both, of gal? Both, either. Okay, my current favourite at the moment is like um, wilted spinach and avocado on sourdough toast, which is like the most basic millennial thing yeah. ever. But it is really good. It's okay, I'm down for that. Okay, great. <laughs> I, I've, I would like to think that I'm a savoury breakfast kind of girl, but 
I'm actually just not. I just love like porridge with a bit of granola on top. I definitely go through phases. Sometimes yeah. I love that. Sometimes it just makes me feel ill. Like sometimes I just can't have sugary things in the mornings. Mm. The evenings is a different matter. I can have granola at any time of night. Oh, see, I'm always like cook a, what I would call like a proper supper in the evening. That's mainly you're because, a real adult. <laughs> well, I was going to say mainly because I have to feed my husband. Yeah, there you go. And if there was no meal, he'd be like, but what am I going to eat tonight? Like <laughs> eggs on toast, which is what he's very eggs good at Eggs on cooking. toast is a great dinner. I don't knock it. Oh, um, anyway, so tell us a little bit about you, what you do, where you've come from, what you like, what you don't like, all that kind of jazz. Who am I? Yeah. Um, Who is Flora? Well, I am a social media consultant and food and fitness blogger. Um, I have been doing it. F- I've been doing blogging for like seven years now. Wow. Um, so, so you're kind of in it from the time. beginning. Well, exactly. When I first started it, um, blogging and you know, the idea of having a lot of followers on Instagram didn't exist because barely anyone actually had Instagram. Mm. And those who did would maybe post like twice a year, pictures of nice sunsets and stuff, as many still do. Um, But I started it up um, as part of recovering from an eating disorder. So I was taking pictures of my food, um, (laughs) which is now such a cliched thing to do. At the time as well, people looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah, Um, But it was to show my doctor. Yeah, a way of staying accountable. Exactly. It was to to show that I was eating like three healthy meals a day um, plus snacks and all that kind of stuff. Um, And it just grew. And I think um, with the addition of hashtags, people could find my account and find someone to relate to, Mm. um, which was crazy for me because I thought that I was very, very alone. And so I think that was like a really good turning point for me was to realise that I wasn't. And yeah. that lots of other people were going through the same things, even if none of them were my friends. Like they kind of felt like it. So yeah. Instagram was an amazing community for me like seven years ago. Yeah. And um, continuing to be so now. Is that one of the main things you say that's been kind of instrumental in your recovery? It's like getting that sense of community kind of online and like growing it and feeling accepted with other people that are going through the same thing yeah definitely and it also allowed me to ask people questions without fear of being judged I think there's this there's a lot of shame around eating disorders and self-harm and all that Mm. kind of stuff that people just don't want to talk about especially with their friends they don't want to be seen as like the weird one which I definitely was at school (laughs) (laughs) I um I, I found making friends incredibly difficult and then having having that platform on which to share my yeah. kind of personal thoughts, but also, um, you know, take take in what other people were saying and what other people were sharing yeah. was really positive for me. Do you think that, because I, I was reading something or was I listening to it recently, it might have been on a podcast, and someone was saying how we're so lonely these days because actually we don't need to go out and see our friends face to face anymore because we can just talk to people on social media or via WhatsApp and we're kind of engaging with our friends and making new friends through a screen but getting really bad at the actual physical contact and that's where I don't know if you find the same thing but if I go and have like dinner with my girlfriends and it's like the four of our five of us that went we all went to school together it's so uplifting and it literally feeds my soul and i never i never get that with the social media platform but i don't know what i don't know what your opinion on that would be whether it's cuz obviously you're so much more in it than i am I mean, how much do you engage with your community like on a daily basis are you kind of constantly messaging them back and forth or is it more like you're putting what you're doing out there and then kind of just like waiting to see what the reaction is yeah, well, going back to 
that thing about you know engaging with your friends mm. um on social media rather than in real life I think we've all been guilty of that I think you kind of yeah. feel like you've seen someone because you've seen pictures of them and then you actually never really message them and then you see of, them and you're like oh how was Barcelona yeah it's really weird that I know that because <laughs> you haven't told me exactly and I I especially am incredibly bad at it because I get messages from from my friends or, or when I see them I'm like I'm telling them about something that I've just done and they're like yeah we already know we saw it on your social media yeah. and I'm like yeah but I want to talk about it I know in person um and I I think there's something biologically that you just don't get from engaging with people over social media Mm. even over the phone like I do call people a lot so I like to chat over the phone for hours and hours um good for you I think well I walk everywhere (laughs) no I love chatting on the phone I know I didn't realize it was a weird thing until I I started telling people and they were like no this is strange um but I think there's that's like the next best thing um but there's something biologically different about meeting people and hugging and you know chatting eye contact that you just don't get when you're you know on social media yeah the physical connection Mm. you mentioned that you walk everywhere is that something that because for me I'm the same and I do it because I find being outdoors so uplifting Mm -hmm. or are you um getting your steps in (laughs) (laughs) I actually currently do not have a step counter so I I don't I don't count my steps at the moment but I I try to stay active throughout the day yeah I find that when I've got a big project to do and I'm just sitting at my desk and working and working and working my mental health is so much worse than it is if I've just been out for an hour down to the river along the river path something that Mm. is outdoors and in nature um yeah it just makes all the difference for me so I try to walk places just to get a bit of sunshine and and fresh air nice um going back to the social media thing do you think that because obviously your what you do is kind of um fitness and health and all of that um do you think that the social media has changed the way we engage with fitness and and like changed kind of what that means for us Yeah, definitely. When I first started out, people didn't really take fitness seriously. It was kind of either something that people did to lose weight, Mm. um, which a couple of my friends did, um, or... It, I mean, it very much was the compulsory thing to do at school. So people did it then yeah. and no other time. It would not be seen as fitness. It was a sport yeah. because you had to. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, it was professional athletes and that's about it I think social media has given people who actually enjoy keeping fit and keeping active um given them a platform to share that and find other people who have you know similar outlooks Mm. um and definitely when I started to incorporate fitness onto my Instagram I suddenly realized that I wasn't the weird one wanting to go to the gym or wanted to go on a run or wanted to go and play squash um despite the fact that I was very much made to feel like I was the only person who actually wanted to keep active in my mm. entire school. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, it was kind of, I don't think it is their fault. I think people, as you're as, as a teenager, you try and stick to what other people are doing and yeah. anything that's seen as different is very much picked, like not necessarily picked on, but noticed by people. Mm. And you do your best to try and fit in. And I did that and it didn't make me happy. And then I found a sport that I absolutely loved, which was squash. Um, Oh, Got quite rogue. good at it. Well, I just hate team sports. <laughs> oh, I'm the opposite of you. Really? I look back at school with just like the fondest memories. Of I just think being a lot of people do. Really good at hockey and yeah. like really good at tennis. And yeah. now I, it's really sad because I don't really do those team sports anymore. Yeah, I think actually. And I love that team 
Yeah, <laughs> people who enjoy team sports really lucked out at school because all of the sports you do are team sports mm. and people who enjoyed solitary sports like me really didn't like at, at school I hated sports I thought I was bad at sports but now that I've left school and left uni it's actually a lot easier for me than it is for you yeah because I mean pretty much everything is solitary yeah um, totally because especially in London we all just go to the gym or we go to like a workout class by ourselves but I actually I joined a netball league um last winter but it just annoys me that netball has to be played in the winter and it was so cold and it just like really put me off you know you get home from work and you're like all I want to do is just kind of cook something really warm and yummy and sit on the sofa and watch sex education but actually yes (laughs) I just yeah so I I played for a term and also because I didn't know the girls in the team and I was kind of joining with the hope of getting to know them really well and when that doesn't happen it's like slightly demoralizing in Mm. a way yeah definitely um, I think London is such a big place that actually you can end up not really making friends with the people that you meet mm. um, because everyone kind of assumes there's so much going on, but there's almost too much going on, I yeah. think. So you actually don't find necessarily what you're looking for. Yeah. And do you feel like, because I always think when you get to a certain age, you kind of don't need to make any new friends. Mm. Like it's it's actually really, I don't know whether that's awful of me to say because I love meeting new people and actually through Instagram, and the job that I do, I am meeting so many like-minded people, which is really nice. But it's it's quite a big ask maintaining a friendship. I agree. I agree. And I think that people kind of need to have boundaries. I think often, especially with the world of social media, people try too hard to be friends with absolutely everyone. And I right. think that's just impossible. You spread yourself too thinly. It doesn't come across as authentic. And you end up, I mean, this might be a controversial opinion, but you end up kind of being half friends to twice as many people rather than actually maintaining really good friendships with half as many. Yeah, no, I think that's really valid. And how do you kind of cope with, because presumably you get quite a lot of um, direct messages each day mm. and people like commenting on YouTube videos and that kind of stuff how do you do you have like a method by which you deal with that like do you say okay between these hours I'm replying to messages or do you just kind of try and do it all all the time yeah I mean I if if I was putting mental health first I think I'd set aside an hour um, or two to do that every day Mm. Um, but since I'm not I tend to just try and reply to everyone all the time. Um, And that has got me in a bit of trouble in the past, actually, because um, even just this week, I got a message from someone saying, you read my message yesterday. You haven't replied today. No way. Um, That's unacceptable. You clearly think you're better than everyone else, essentially, except it was a much, much longer message than that. Why do Um, people feel like they have the right to call others out like that on social media? I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding um, that people who are big on social media think that they are better than everyone else and I think that's just due to lack of education and a bit of a lack of compassion with people um I think it's not necessarily their fault maybe it's that we don't put across our most authentic selves and Mm. I say us because there are a lot of people and there's a lot of variety within that so so I can't speak for everyone um but yeah I think I think they just don't quite understand what it is that we're doing and just assume the worst. Um, yeah. But I mean, if uh, my boyfriend pointed this out, if someone, if a journalist, for example, sent a message to a politician, you know, requesting X, Y, and Z, and they didn't reply, you'd kind of just get on with it. Yeah, You wouldn't necessarily expect to reply, and definitely not within 24 hours, which is what I think people expect of mm. influencers. Um, 
and I get maybe 50 messages plus a day um that's just on my Instagram so I also get YouTube I also get emails um and I'm not saying this to be like oh my god look at me I'm just saying it can be quite difficult and when we send emails we wouldn't necessarily expect a reply straight away and I think we should have the same sort of respect and boundaries with um, people we're chatting to over social media yeah do you think it's because people feel like well you're choosing to put your life on social media and like tell us everything you're doing so therefore I have a right to call you out when you're doing something that I don't like or I don't agree with you or you know you're obviously spending all day on your phone so you should reply right away (laughs) definitely I think without a doubt I've actually had this conversation quite a lot because I really like to chat to my followers I like to know what they're thinking um and preempt also you know any complaints or you know queries that they might have um and I think actually chatting to them is the only way of keeping on top of how they view you whether or not you care about it I think it's quite good to know yeah um and I know that a lot of people might disagree with me there but that's that's how I feel um what was the last bit of that question? Oh, I don't know. Oh, that because you're always on your phone that you should be able to reply instantly. Yeah. Um, because your job is to be on your right, phone, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 Um, No, I think, I think, oh God, I think it's, I, I think that's totally obscene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone's always on their phone. True. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're always replying to work emails straight away. And also, I mean, I think there are some jobs like this, but the vast majority of jobs do not require you to be on the clock 24 hours a day. Mm. Um, Whereas the kind of job that we have definitely seems to require that. And I think people are slowly coming to the realisation that that's just not sustainable. Going back Mm. to the thing of sustainability, um, your mental health has to come first. Like there's no way that you can continue putting out good content for people that is authentic without actually putting yourself first Um, and I think people need to understand that Um, you can't please everyone and I'm very slowly coming to that realization realization yeah and just trying my best to do what I think is right and hope that other people like that too yeah for sure and um you you kind of what I really like is that you tend to use your your Instagram especially as a place not only to share what you're doing and your life and all of that stuff but it's it's quite an educational hub as well at times I think you put a lot of effort into your stories and saying you know I've read this really interesting article what do you guys think and you engage in like debate that's really important and really current um how do you view fitness in relation to kind of what you're doing and like how do you use your platform to educate positively on what it on what it means to like be sustainable within fitness because I think we see so many people taking it to extremes these days yeah definitely um I think there was a trend a couple of years ago of people doing um bikini competitions and Mm. and basically which is still definitely a thing oh uh, yeah it's still a thing and also it's totally legit like it's if if that's what you find enjoyment in then by all means do it but I do agree that that's that was at one point the ideal for everyone was to look like you were you know, seven percent body fat, one hundred percent of the time. Exactly, which is totally unsustainable. Mm. You know, biologically, your body can't keep that up, and nor should it. Like, it's super duper unhealthy to yeah. keep that up year round. Yeah. Um, but I, I tried to share these things because I, when I first started social media, and actually throughout my life, have been incredibly easily 
persuaded to do things um, by things that I see. Like I, I, I'm very easily influenced by things that I see in adverts and online. And I just worry that we all have, we all have this responsibility to put out a message that we could stand by. Um, and that is why I'm so careful with what I put out there. Mm. And I also want to teach my followers to use their brains. Um, mm. I think people kind of assume sometimes that followers are stupid, but we're all a follower. If we're on Instagram, we're all a follower of someone else. Um, and I don't think any of us think that we are stupid and that we we are so gullible as to what you know other people are putting on social media. Mm. So I think we just need to realise that... <sighs> Influencers are responsible for what they put out there and not everyone has to like it, but they have to be aware of the fact that, so followers have to be aware of the fact that influencers, the, sorry, the following that influencers have does not equate to the knowledge that they have. Yeah. And they need to use well their brain said. with that and they need to take everything with a pinch of salt. Um, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, the, the influencers have to be careful with what they put out there because people are easily influenced, like yeah. I have been in my life as well, which is why I'm so open with what I talk about. Yeah, and I think that is a really, I think you put it so well that the, the size of their account does not equate to their knowledge. There must be just something in like the human psyche that makes us I don't know because we kind of when like I'm I'm the same if I go onto someone's page and I see that they have a huge following yes I'm I'm way more interested than I would be if they only had like a few thousand followers and I think it's because we're just I don't know there's part of it, it's like a fascination like how did you do this you know well, what do you sheep. know that I don't know is it's very much I think it's the case mm. that um we assume that if you know, 700,000 other people think that this is useful content or good content, then we'll probably find that too. Mm. But I, d I don't think, unfortunately, that that is the case. 700,000 other people might think that they have a good body. And then you you start following them because you think that those other people think that they're putting out good advice. And then you start following their advice, advice and suddenly you're on a juice cleanse for like yeah. seven days. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, that I think that's the issue. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that people are held accountable enough. Yeah. Or you're drinking some like ridiculous tea that's going to promise that you lose five pounds or whatever. Yeah. Just... And all you do lose is like 40 quid. And yeah. A bunch of water weight. <laughs> yeah. And probably some of your gut bacteria or <laughs> yeah. something, you know. Exactly. Um. So in terms of your training, and your lifestyle you've just completed a marathon huge congratulations thank you what did a kind of sustainable days training and also eating plant-based look like for you in preparation for that impressive uh, <laughs> feat oh my god the marathon was insane um I think it was probably the hardest thing that I've ever done so I am very very glad that it's over but also super impressed with myself that mm. I managed to do it um bearing in mind that I'm literally built for like power and strength and not marathon running even having done multiple months of it um in terms of a sustainable day I think I was surprised at how little we would actually be training okay. um 
So like not running all the time out exactly. there pounding the streets. Exactly. Well, I'm super injury prone and, and I had a coach to help me through it. So I didn't I didn't just download um, uh, something from online. Mm. You can find loads of good stuff online, but you can also find a lot of crap. Um, so I actually had a coach um, help me through, especially as my first run, first race over 10 kilometers, which was <laughs> pretty insane. Quite um, a big one to do over <laughs> yeah. 10. Not just like 12 or 15. Just do but, four know. times, four and a bit times that. Um, <laughs> so I was running about three times a week um, on average. At the beginning, I was running maybe four times a week, but splitting up my longer run into two runs. Try not to run two days consecutively. Um, so, and then towards the end, so you do different cycles, maybe three different cycles of training. Yeah. So you do the same sort of runs for two, three weeks, and then, this, you know, change that up, do the same kind of runs for the next two, three weeks, and then change that up and then, like... Mm the same for the third week so by the by the end we were doing one speed session one medium length run and one long run okay and the long run well I injured myself so my longest run was 26 kilometers which is quite significantly shorter than 42.17 yeah. whatever um but at the same time it was still a lot further than I'd ever run before so I figured you know if I could do that off having run no further than like 10k before yeah then I could, could do probably the do the thing. marathon yeah was it kind of your mental toughness then that got you through those last because I mean I personally like not speaking from experience at all <laughs> but I would imagine that a marathon is as much training getting your diet right and all that stuff as it is being strong enough mentally to actually get through it yeah there's actually a lot of research about that um I read a lot of stuff um, <laughs> do tell <laughs> there's um there's some research about suggesting that mental toughness um and your ability to concentrate on stuff for a very long time can help endurance athletes okay so um they've tried brain training it's still I mean it's still in the infancy of research mm. so they don't they don't really have any conclusive answers but there's stuff to back it up um suggests that brain training yourself to be able to concentrate on the task at hand for a long period of time means that you might be better at doing endurance sports mm. um so that's why when you are sitting at your desk for you know a long long day and you've been focusing on things all day why that's why you feel physically exhausted at the end of the day obviously you've just been sitting down all day so yeah. you've actually done nothing physical there's no reason you think that that you should feel physically exhausted but it's because that self-control to stay focused on something for a long period of time is exactly the same self-control required to keep running when you mm. really when your brain tells you and your legs tell you that you want to stop. Yeah. So in answer to your question, yeah, I think it's at least as much mental as it is physical. Yeah. Um, thankfully, I'm super stubborn and really competitive. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I know you're super competitive, but it's it's yeah. one thing to be competitive with yourself, I think, and another thing to be competitive in like a team sport. Yeah. And I think being competitive with yourself is firstly harder and because you have to produce all of that energy yourself and you don't have your teammates around you being like, we need to win this. And secondly... In terms of like a life skill, I think really valuable because not only will you achieve in a fitness sense, um, you know, running a marathon, for example, but it probably makes you way more kind of focused in like your work life mm -hmm. or achieving that goal that you wanted to like smash or yeah. whatever. Well, it's thought that that's one of the reasons that sport improves people's mental health so much. If you are, um, so I suffered from depression from about the age of 12 and finding 
sports really helped me um partly because if you can achieve something just one thing every day which is you know maybe getting out for a 20 minute run or something your brain is kind of geared towards achieving things um and when you're depressed it can be incredibly difficult to even get out of bed Mm. um let alone you know do the work that you have to do or whatever and just achieving one thing every day um and also seeing progress over months of doing that can really change the way that your brain works um, and certainly help me. Yeah, I certainly, I mean, I found that too with my own, it wasn't that I was suffering so much from depression, but I got very, very sick for like a long time Mm. with like a chronic, something chronic. It's not like, oh, you've got, um, you you need to take this drug or whatever. It was more like I was suffering from really bad fatigue and terrible allergies, like, liver not working properly like eyes swelling up gut problems Mm. and when that goes on for such a long time you actually do get really depressed because you feel really helpless like no one can help you fix it and for me while I was going through all of that we were living in Australia at the time and I was kind of a little bit obsessed with this world of like bodybuilding and for some reason I felt like I had to go to the gym so I would wake up every day feeling like a bus had hit me, like I was that tired. And I had really bad muscle fatigue 100% of the time, even if I hadn't exercised. But I would get up every morning, have a coffee, because they taste really great in Australia, um, (laughs) and then go and do a really intense workout. And yeah, it was like really muscly and like had a great body, but I could not recover from it. And to me, that's not sustainable whatsoever. And I finally got to the point where I realized I have to stop doing this type of exercise it doesn't work for me I'm not going to heal if I'm constantly in this like sympathetic nervous system your body's on overdrive and over the last year since recovering I've started jogging and I'm a really bad runner (laughs) like really bad they always thought I'd be good at school because I was tall and lanky so I was putting cross country and just failed um team sports on the other hand um (laughs) and now I can run 5k and I've never ever done that in my life before and I totally agree and I think running is so good as well because quite often well the people do outside and nature is so uplifting and for me it was realizing that what I was doing in a training sense was not sustainable and I shouldn't be doing it just because everyone else was and that I couldn't physically cope with it and then finding something that was you know lower impact and just being okay doing your own thing yeah, and definitely. getting out of that bubble where you feel like you have to have abs. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the benefits of social media as well is that there is so much out there. Um, mm. There's kind of something for everyone. And I always try to preach this on my own account. People are like, I hate going to the gym. And I'm like, don't, don't go, go to the gym then. Yeah, I'm <laughs> the you, same. Honestly, like I hated the gym for so long. Um, well, I, go through, I go through phases actually. Sometimes I love it and sometimes I hate it. And so the times that I hate it, I just don't go. I choose something else. Like I'm obsessed with boxing. So I'll go and mm. do boxing or, you know, I'll, I'll learn how to run. God, it took me maybe like two years to run any further than two kilometers. I was so bad at long distance running. Mm. I put that in inverted commas for you listening. Um, I can't do, I couldn't do long distance running at all so for me again the achievement Mm. of being able to run far for me far which was 5k at the time um was incredible and and I kind of felt at that point like I could do anything and from then I've just taken it further I I have a habit now of saying yes to things and thinking about it later (laughs) so um as you know I did a boxing match at the end of last year yeah which I so nearly said no to and I just kind of 
typed yes and sent it. And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's going to hit me really soon. And now I have to train. And so I trained and then I did it and I won. And at that point, I was on a massive high and I was like, this is so much fun. Yeah. Um, Granted, not everyone might find being punched in the face particularly fun. But just don't get punched in the face then. Like, be good enough. Um, And that was what I trained for. And then I thought, you know, if I could do that, which I really really did not think that I could do um I can't stress that enough I did Mm. not think I was going to be good enough and I did it and that was when I was asked to do the marathon bearing in mind at this point I have been injured for four years maybe they were like this girl will do anything let's ask her (laughs) to do the marathon yeah and they were right um I said yes and then thought about it later I was like look I haven't I haven't managed to push my injury to the point where I can run further than 10k without pain Mm. um now's the time to do it yeah why not (laughs) got like two months (laughs) what did um food look like because obviously I mean that's why I'm a nutritional therapist so food is like my thing I know that you are plant-based what did that look like for you leading up to the marathon yeah I used to worry quite a lot about what I ate and trying to get all the macronutrients I never actually counted macros I'm not yeah I not just, pro count neither no. am I it's fine I, I mean I've yeah. condemned it before on my podcast for me it's all about the micronutrients yeah exactly. and you're gonna miss those out Variety. if you're eating bro food every yeah, day definitely. I mean chicken broccoli and brown rice is not definitely healthy bro food's also very difficult when you're plant-based um, yeah so, <laughs> but yeah um for me it was just about getting in enough calories um I'd having come out of training for the boxing match I was already about as lean as I've ever been without having an eating disorder um and so I just was trying to fuel myself properly and that meant basically having five meals a day I've okay. got YouTube evidence <laughs> I try not to share exactly what I eat every day because I don't want people to copy what I do yeah because what I do is very specific to the foods that I like the yeah. amount of activity that I do the stuff that I'm doing in that particular day yeah and also just how I feel like sometimes mm. I'll have half a banana bread like the entire thing and that's that's okay I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that everyone do that all the time like if someone saw my one day of eating where I did that and thought oh that's just how Flora eats and then they're sitting at their desk all day that would have a very 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 different effect on them than it has on me Mm, for sure and nutrition has to be specific to the individual otherwise it just doesn't work yeah exactly and that's yeah one thing again like it's just taken so much so much out of proportion on social media and this whole fascination. I mean, I'm fascinated with it as well because I love to know what people eat. But we, this whole what I eat in a day hashtag is just, I mean, it's just like hit the stratosphere. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I've been guilty to of posting things like that. But yeah. I, I mean, I have in, in the past also tried to disclaim that, yeah. that this is what I ate today. Yeah. This is not what I eat Every in an day. average day. This yeah. is also not a recommendation that you should mm. eat this kind of stuff as well. This is kind of just like just look at it as meal ideas yeah and actually I think it's fine because one of the reasons that we are all on social media is because we are interested in other people I mean as humans we have we are obsessed with each other yeah so I don't think it's a bad thing at all to share what you're eating I do it daily on my Instagram account but I think it's like trying to provide value and trying to provide useful information to people that they can easily see should not be like taken out of context definitely and it goes back to the thing of just encouraging people to use their brains um, yeah, you can't yeah. things think for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah, what do just you want to eat? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so how does sustainability play a part in your everyday life? So let's talk about Frida. 
which is a sustainable period sanitary pad, et cetera, et cetera. Subscription. Subscription, which is um, fantastic because I think the dialogue around periods is changing, which is firstly brilliant. Um, And secondly, it's something that I didn't think about when I started my sustainability journey because I've always been... I've always been really anti-plastic from a nutritional point of view, as in I hate it touching my food, especially things like um, anything that's like oily, like if you're buying salmon, I know you wouldn't being plant-based, but and it comes wrapped in plastic. To me, that's like abhorrent that those plastics would have leached into that food. So I've always right. been anti it in that sense. But then um, started kind of, I did a January, the whole of January plastic free which was really hard. That's amazing. It was really hard. Yeah. Um, and my New Year's resolution for this year is no new clothes. Um, but it was quite late into this journey that I realised that what I was using every month for my period was creating so much waste. So tell us how you started this company, what you're doing, who you're supporting, all of that stuff. So um, I'm not actually the founder, I'm not the founder of the company. The founder of the company is called Afi. Mm -hmm. She's um, an incredible woman who started up the company similarly when she realised that there was pretty much no other way um, of of not just disposing of plastic every yeah. single month in huge quantities. Yeah. Um, and she came up with this idea of a subscription service so that rather than having to run to the shops to buy, you know, these tiny little packs of, of disposable tampons or pads or whatever, it would come through your door with exactly the products that you wanted mm. so you can choose you can customise the box, basically. So choose exactly what you need. So people don't necessarily need just tampons or just pads. They want a mix of each and they know how many of each that they want. Yeah. Um, and then that will come through your door every month in time for your period. And you can put in your cycle length as well. So it's coming exactly when you need it. That's amazing. So I think there are other subscription services that do the same thing. I don't think you can customise it as much as that. Yeah, as far as I know, it's um, it's not a common thing, mm. um, and and of course, it's great that the space is growing. I think there's there's room for so much more actually um, yeah. sustainable options, um, and I love that that Frida the the word that Frida's putting out there is actually becoming more and more popular. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so it's it's a brilliant brilliant brand and it also has a give back pledge so when you buy things through them a portion of the profits go to uk-based period poverty initiatives yeah so um for anyone who doesn't know period poverty is where you um don't have access to period products um so a lot of women um in schools uh secondary schools but also you know primary schools can't afford to buy sanitary protection every single month mm. um and so it's expensive yeah it it is expensive and most of us can afford that it's I was about to say it's a luxury it's not a luxury it's a necessity (laughs) it is a necessity did you see in the news they are actually going to make yes products available for everyone in secondary schools okay so they're in and in England Mm. only so um they are making so uh just to clarify that they're making they're giving free period products to secondary schools um for those who need them um in England okay there's still a lot of people who don't have access to them so um asylum seekers are one one group of people who don't have a huge amount of access um homeless people as well also don't have a huge amount of access so Frida works with um 
charities such as Bloody Good Cause, um, Red Box Project, for example, who provide sanitary products for mm. people who need it. Yeah. And um, the give back pledge means that every time that you buy something from them, they can then give it to someone who really, really needs them as well. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I think it's really sad how, like you were saying, it's not, it's not a... Um, it's not a choice for women. Like this happens to us every month. And firstly, the kind of dialogue makes us feel like we shouldn't be talking about it and that it's like a bit gross and dirty. And secondly, you know, I, I, I totally admit I'm really privileged and it's never something I've had to deal with, but I couldn't, I can't imagine having a horrible period, like a heavy period and like not having access to that to that stuff and not being able to live go on living my everyday life I mean it's basically a human right you yeah. shouldn't be made to feel degraded or like you have to hide yourself like in, mm. in many other countries it is seen as a, an unclean thing and women who are menstruating have to be yeah they kind of go away for a week and like exactly. deal with they're, it by themselves put, yeah or they're put, they are literally locked in in places away from the rest of the community because it is, is such a taboo subject and yeah. I think I think in but actually it's, it's, it's bullshit sorry because it's like that's how we create life like if you don't have a period <laughs> yeah. you, you won't have a baby and then yes you know that is like that's how we that's how we're all here like it's just it is. so mind-boggling it is bullshit and also um someone pointed out the other day that if men if it was men who had periods um they'd tell us they all about be, it oh my god they'd be lording it over our heads <laughs> they'd be bleeding freely in the street yeah well absolutely and <laughs> and the amount that they bleed would be a sign of you know their virility and, yeah. and and how strong they are as men and 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 the products would be handed out willy-nilly on the streets um mm. for free for for all men and it would very much not be seen as the taboo subject that it's seen as now yeah good point and it's i mean it's Luckily, it's changing, especially here in London. I, I mean, I've been I, so I previously worked for the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. So I worked for them for 14 months. So I've been working in, um, you know, women's, women's health, health basically for two years now. Yeah. So maybe my view is skewed a little bit, but I definitely think that people are starting to open up about it and starting to talk about it more. And you get people on social media opening up about their periods and, mm. and period pain and, and other conditions such as endometriosis and PCOS, which are hugely common. I mean, both of them, I think, are between one in five and one in 10 have yeah. them. And yet, I mean, what unless you have it, when do you hear those words being strung about? You just you just don't really. Yeah. Um, whereas I think recently people are actually talking about it a lot more, which yeah. is, I mean, thank God. Yeah. It's about bloody time. And I think just going back quickly to social media, we should be actively seeking out those accounts which are talking about these issues and mm. making them like more normal in inverted commas. I'll link it in the show notes, but I went to an incredible talk at Soho House on International Women's Day all about women's health. And there was one girl there, I can't remember her name now, so I'll link it, but she has an Instagram account all about periods. And that's basically Amazing. all she po- talks about. And she just, she's so open about it. And I think it's fantastic that she's got a huge following and like those are the people that we yeah. should really be seeking out. Definitely. Mm. I mean, we need more people like that as well, yeah. um, because it's not an abnormal thing, whatever whatever the media would have mm. you think. Yeah. And, and we need to change that conversation. Yeah. Um, so I'll wrap up with my usual three questions. Um, so the podcast is called State of Mind and it's kind of always been about mental health for me. I mean, I think personally it's something that I've struggled with over the years like I said from kind of being sort of chronically unwell and just 
needing to get back to that place where I felt really happy and really healthy and really solid. Um, that being said, what is one thing in your life that you would um, do again if you could? That's such a tough question. And people have given me really varied answers for this. So like it could be somewhere that you've been that you wanted to go back to or it could be like something much more deep and emotive and <laughs> <laughs> oh i got a really would you do the marathon answer? again Flora? no fuck that <laughs> <laughs> my legs still haven't recovered she hobbled in here today <laughs> i did um no i was gonna say a really cheesy answer <laughs> go on i love a cheesy answer Day. just I'd meet my boyfriend again probably yeah. <laughs> actually do you know what this is something I talk about a lot with my girlfriends I I mean I'm very happily married but wouldn't it be awesome if you could go back to that initial stage where you met that person that you really love where it's like you're dating and it's so exciting and like yeah because although not it's not exciting now of course well <laughs> it is and it isn't because your relationship changes and you become each other's best friend and that's wonderful and you're building this life together but yeah, you never actually go back to that stage where like you're getting it's ready true. for a date and you feel all these flutters yeah. and I oh think that's God, a great so, answer. So many flutters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, four years on and I can still remember it very vividly. Yeah, so me too. I, I would like to go back to that. But if if I can't do that, I'm happy to just remember it. Amazing. <laughs> um, what's one thing you would change if you could? Um, without context, this is a little bit of a difficult one. Um, okay. but I probably wouldn't have gone to my prep school <laughs> um, that was where I first became depressed and I think they handled it incredibly badly I was just sent to the school um, what's the religious person at the school what's the word? Oh pastor yeah chaplain. not chaplain mm. yeah I was just sent to the school chaplain and asked if I needed to talk to God which I didn't I needed therapy oh my gosh <laughs> and I was not offered it and I think um that is a sign of wonder if that would happen these days well exactly not. the sign of the progress that mm. has been made now I don't think so I think my secondary school dealt with it significantly better yeah um but yeah they handled it very badly and I would rather avoid that <sighs> I would rather have avoided that yeah. I think I think a lot of things could have been stopped in their tracks early mm. okay um, and finally, what does state of mind mean to you? I think for me, it's about the daily things that you do for your mental health um, and the outlook that that gives on life for you. Um, for me, mental health is not just about, you know, having a nice hot bath. It's literally every second of the day and mm the gratitude that you have towards life but also just understanding that everything is temporary everything will pass the good and the bad and yeah. um just kind of applying that to your everyday life amazing that's such a good answer thank you flora <laughs> i hope you've enjoyed being on the pod thanks so much incredible absolutely loved it so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed this first episode of state of mind as i said in my little soundbite this podcast is now 100 my baby and anything that you can do to support it and help get the word out there would be amazing 
I also promised to bake healthy treats. I think that offer's still on the table. So if you could spare a couple of seconds just to leave a five-star review on the Apple Podcasts app or on iTunes, that would really, really help. And share, share it in your Insta stories, tell your friends, all that good stuff. And I'll see you back next week with another episode. Bye-bye. Thank you.